continuing our sermon series in chapter 3 today. Blessed to prepare to preach verse 17 through 19 today in a sermon that I've titled Praying for the Saints Part 2. I'd like to read last week's and this week's text together so we can be reminded of the context of today's scripture. Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 19. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Word of our Lord. We saw last week in verse 14 through 17 that Paul has turned to a time of prayer for the saints in this region of Ephesus, praying for his fellow believers, men and women of God. He's praying to our Holy Father and for the united family of God that we would be strengthened with power in the Holy Spirit and that Christ would dwell in our hearts through active and ongoing faith. Church, as we pick up today in the middle of verse 17, we see Paul build on his prayer to the application of God's love at work in the lives of the redeemed. Here in verse 17 through 19, he's going to pray that we are rooted in God's love strengthened to comprehend the vastness of God's love and that the saints are personally impacted by God's love in such a way that leads to maturity in Christ-likeness and lasting satisfaction in all that God is to his people. Look with me at the second part of verse 17 as we jump in. reading all of 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love. Here we read Paul using mixed metaphors to bring emphasis to the same point. That point is that he deeply prays that the believers are securely fixed in God's love. Before we dive into the application that Paul is praying for here, let me take a moment to give us introduction and clarity about love what is love first john chapter 4 7 and 8 speaks clearly beloved let us love one another for love is from god and whoever loves has been born of god and knows god anyone who does not love does not know god because god is love Understand with me, love is not something God created and then gave to mankind to utilize. No, God is love. Love is God's nature. What this means is that you may know something about human affection or what mankind calls love, But apart from the grace of God, apart from knowing God personally, you cannot know or live out true love. Why? Because God is love. If you think you have love, but you don't have God, you don't have love. You have human affection, powered by human effort, towards something we think is love, but it's not true love. Why? Because God is love. So when you hear the Beatles sing, all you need is love, or you hear a blistered and broken society calling out for love as the answer, hear biblically that all we need is God. Who is love? 
And the love of Jesus is the true answer to all our problems. Real love is like God who is holy and just. If you want true love in your life, you need a relationship with Him. You need to be saved. You need to repent of your sin and trust your life to Jesus. And if and when we truly know God, only then will we love as He does. John says here, to know God is to know love. Ho church, the love of God is so good. Consider the words of the psalmist in Psalm 36, 7 through 9. How excellent. In other words, how precious is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men must put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied. That word satisfied there in the Hebrew means watered. With the fatness of thy house. And thou shalt make them to drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life. And in thy light shall we see light. The love of God, church, is so wonderful. It is so precious. And, and only under the wing of God are we very satisfied in his love. Christian, I, w- I want you to really go here with me today. Don't let this pass you by this morning. Don't miss this. Are you very stupid in love with God? Very caught up in his amazing love for you? Christian, Do you get how loved you are? Or are you guilty of putting that out of sight and being disgruntled through your days with your life, with your circumstances, with others? Church, we're to be drunk in His love. So much so that it is hard for others to deal with you without the love of God just pouring out of your life. It is so central and so present in who you are and in how you do life in Christ. This is what Paul is praying for. This is, what, this is so much of what I hope we come to know and be in Christ. May the fatness, the abundance the spillover of the love of God, the satisfaction and completeness of the Trinity run over in our lives. We would drink of it, know it, be oh so pleased by it in such a way that it can't help but find its way out of us to others. So when Paul prays that you be rooted and grounded in love, what what is he getting to here? We need to slow to consider what he's specifically praying for. This first metaphor Paul uses is that we would be rooted. To be rooted is a botanical metaphor whereby a plant or a tree is firmly secure in the ground by its roots. We see this in other places in Scripture, very famously, very importantly, in the first words of the Psalms. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. 
The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. A tree whose roots are abiding in the word of God produces much fruit. The tree whose roots are in the thinking and the ways of the world are like chaff that the wind easily uproots and blows away. Christian, what's the status of your roots? This highlights a huge way that we are rooted in God's love is to abide in His Word. This is putting it deep into the soil of your heart and watering it and tending to it every day so that your roots are strengthened and, and, and deepened. Christian, can I just ask you, the plant of your faith the relationship you have with the Lord, is it something that you often neglect? Spending very little time in a given day or even in a given week tending to the soil, watering, nourishing the roots. And we wonder why we're frustrated with, with perpetuating struggle with sin or, or constant discontentment with our lives. We have to be grounded, secure in the truth of God. So that when the wind blows and the storms rage, you remain steadfast. So that you don't cut and run from the church. You don't cut and run from, the, from God entirely. To not be rooted in God is to be susceptible to be blown away by the world's persecutions, injustices, temptations, and troubles. I think sometimes we're guilty of using words that maybe don't really reflect who we really are in Christ. We're to mourn with those who mourn. We're to be greatly disheartened by injustice and persecution and abuse, manipulation. But church, we are not to be undone. We are not to be unrooted. Why? Because we are grounded. We're rooted in Christ we're stable. We belong. We are walking by faith in a God who, who's got this, who is at work. Christian, you throw your testimony away when you say, I'm undone. You're not undone. Not in Christ. You're rooted. And that faith, that grounding is needed in our testimony. That, that a world that has no roots, a world that is tossed about by every movement and wind and doctrine and, 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 and systematic proposal, that, that they would see that they need the gospel alone. We need to be mindful of our roots in faith into God and His love. It is our roots that tell the honest story about the authenticity of our faith. Why? Because true faith, lasting faith, is fully secured in the deeply, and it is deeply embedded into God. It trusts Him. It trusts His Word and His promises. Speaking of those truly rooted in Christ and those who look like maybe they are but prove to not be, Jesus teaches about our soil and our roots in a parable he tells in Mark chapter 4, 3 through 8. He says, listen, behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up. But since it had no depth of soil, when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no roots, it withered away. Other seed fell along the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. What's the testimony of your roots, brother, sister, in Christ? Some of you are here, and, 
in the end, you're only looking for religion. Something to add to your life. Christ will not be added. And religion will not do. Whatever seed that falls on the hard path of your heart will be replaced by the ways of the world eventually. Some of you are all consumed with the world. You're you're too exposed to the world. You're chasing after the world whereby you are quickly choked out by the thorns or scorched by the sun. Church, we must be rooted in God and His love. Only when our roots are deep into God's love, nourished by God's word, will we not be plucked out, will we not wither, but we will be steadfast. We will combat lies with truth. We will humbly repent instead of pridefully resist. We will withstand the raging storms and scorching sun of this world. So I ask you to honestly consider with me, are you truly rooted in God's love? Meaning your identity is not fixed on the love of man. You're you're not fixed on the circumstances of this temporary life. But in God, in God's amazing love. You are cultivating and tending to the soil of your heart with God's Word, instead of being guilty of going days on end without watering or tilling that soil of your faith. What must you do to bring that practice, that presence, more central in your life, Christian? So that it's not avoided, it's not in the corner, it's not tucked away in the garage, it's not haphazard. It's like breathing. It's like eating. You must tend to it every day. The second metaphor is architectural. As God, as, as Paul longs for the believers to be grounded in love. A lasting and sound structure must be built on a firm foundation. Scripture is clear that Christ is our firm foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11 No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus said as much in John 15.5 Apart from me you can do nothing. To build your faith and live your life without Christ as your rock, your cornerstone, is to attempt to build something on that which cannot sustain it. Jesus emphasizes this in his famous words in Matthew 7, 24-27, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The life that is truly built on the rock is one that hears the gospel and gives their lives to Christ fully. It is those who hear the instruction of the Lord and they obey it. They don't question it, challenge it, negotiate with it. They obey it. It is their joy to obey. To say, yes, Master, I live for you. This life is yours. They trust that God is perfect and holy and good. Their lives are marked by the fact that they have died to self and trusted themselves to Christ. For those saved in Jesus Christ, He is our rock, our cornerstone, our foundation. Are you grounded in Him? Christ alone is our cornerstone. Weak are made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord. Lord of all. Truly slow to consider how this is true for you today because it will be tested. The storms will rage and beat on your house of faith. 
young ones of faith. What if your parents die or abandon you? What if they turn from the faith? Are you grounded in Christ so that your faith will remain? Wives, husbands, what if your spouse utterly fails, utterly abandons? What if they are lame through and through? Is your faith in Christ, your obedience to God, steadfast? Singles, are your, is your identity in Christ, your grounding in Christ, where your hope is not in a, a relationship, your hope is not in other things? Are we grounded? To the unemployed, are you grounded? To the poor, are you grounded? Is your life built on Jesus alone? The storms will rage. They will beat on your house of faith. Are you grounded in the love of God? You don't just know about it. You you know it personally. You know Him personally. Consider with me why it's important that we are securely fixed in God's love. Number one, identity. When we are fixed in God's love, we are no longer susceptible to being undone by others' lack of love or misplaced, poorly handling love. Let me ask you, how often are you undone or upset when other people don't love you like they should or maybe like you want them to? Christian, when you belong to God, when you are fixed in His love, why are you so worked up and worried about what others think or do? You should be backstroking in the ocean of God's love and therefore not undone by the raindrop of some other person's misapplied love in your life. Church, when you are rooted and grounded in God's love, our identity is secure. Why is it so important we're securely fixed in God's love? Stability. When you're fixed in God's love, you're no longer susceptible to your floundering fleshly emotions. In our flesh, we are emotional people, sinfully emotional. Easily angered, disappointed, envious, sad, let down, bitter. Beloved, when you are fixed in God's love, you are stable. Paul will speak to this in the next chapter, saying that when we're fixed in Christ, we're no longer tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Ephesians 4, 14 and 15. Third, when we are fixed in God's love, we are primed for true and lasting worship. To love the love of God will move us to resounding praise for who He is and what He's done. We will not chase after short-term, low-yield counterfeits. We will chase after and worship God above all else. Psalm 101, verse 1: I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord, I will make music. Psalm 106.1, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Christian, are you so caught up in the love of God that this time of corporate worship on a Sunday morning to sing with the saints, to study His holy word, is the highlight of your day? 
There's nothing better that's going to happen today than this. Or is your heart chasing after some other event, some other thing that you long for, some other thing that you're, that you're let down because it's not what you want? As we're fixed in God's love, then, then, the, the, then the highlight, the crescendo, the, the climax is God. It's worshiping Him, knowing Him and loving Him back. Finally, number four, love for others. When we're fixed in God's love, we are moved to truly and faithfully love others. Not because of anything they do or don't do, but because we are saturated in the love of God. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 1 John 4, 11. 1 John 4, 12 says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. 1 John 4.19 We love because He first loved us. Beloved, the love of God at work in us doesn't end in us. It spills over. It breaks through to those around us. It must. And if it doesn't, then something's wrong. The love of God is like a, a natural spring of water. It will find its way to the surface. Church, our love for others is the intention of God for our time in the here and now. And so when you're frustrated by that other driver's driving, or that cashier's lack of diligence, or that food preparer's lack of cleanliness, when, when life is, is tempting to stir you up in anger, and in, in bitterness, and complaining, Stay saturated in God's love that, that the love of God spilling through you overcomes that. People say, who are you? Child of the living God. They, may, they must see God's love in us. Now that they've seen what it what we that we've seen what it is to be fixed in God's love, let us consider how we are rooted and grounded in love. Paul really sets the table for this in the first part of the verse. Christ must dwell in our hearts through faith. Read it with me. Ephesians 3:17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you be rooted and grounded in love. He's clear to say what I said at the top of the sermon. You cannot know, you cannot be rooted or live out the love of God if you're not first saved by grace through faith in Christ. First John again, chapter 4, in verse 9 and 10. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. How? That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him in this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is the gospel. God, in His amazing grace and mighty plan, made His love manifest among us in this life through the life and death and resurrection of Christ. God loved us by sending His Son to be the sacrifice of atonement that was required for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could know the love of God. This is the only way we can be saved. The only way we can know God's love and abide in it is Christ. Maybe you're realizing today that you don't know this kind of love we're talking about today. All you know is the counterfeit love of lost human race. The imitation love of man, which is a self-serving, man-generated thing, instead of the other-centered love of God. If this is you, know that real, to know real love, you must know God. To know God, you must be spiritually awakened by God to cause you to respond in repentance of your sin and utter submission to Christ by believing and trusting in Him. If this is God's work in you today, then repent and believe and be transformed, be saved. Know the love of God. Because without true faith in Jesus, true trust into Christ, you will not know the love of God. Christian, let me say to you, if your grounding in God's love is wavering lately, return to the cross. 
Return to the gospel. See God's love poured out. Be captivated by it in such a way that it sends you forward in something that you just can't generate on your own. We are desperate for Him alone. Look with me the next part of our Scripture, verse 18, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Here Paul drives deeper into the limitless boundaries of God's love. He wants his brethren in Christ to be strengthened, to be matured, so that they can better and better comprehend the vastness of God's amazing love. Church, we can know the love of God truly, but not fully. Why? Because God's love is so absolutely vast and deep. So therefore, then, how are we strengthened to comprehend the incomprehensible? How are we strengthened to comprehend the incomprehensible? We grow in our comprehension of the depth and width of God's love in the faithful study of Scripture and through the struggles of sanctification we go through in the Holy Spirit's power. Church, your devotion to the study and maturity that comes from time in God's Word means your theology grows, so therefore does your comprehension of the vastness of God's love grow. And just like our human relationships often grow best through, through deep testing and real hardship, our comprehension and grounding God's love grows when we are tested in real hardship in this life. Notice with me Paul's directional descriptiveness in trying to give us some kind of picture of the vastness of God's love. That, he may, that, that we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? Breadth and length and height and depth. One theologian says it this way, the love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind, long enough to last for eternity, deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner, and high enough to exalt him to heaven. Church, see with me the expanse, the reach of God's love in the length and the width. It reaches to the ends of the earth, to all of creation. See that nothing and nobody in creation is out of reach of God's love. Also see the expanse of the reach of God's love going to the highest heights and eternity and glory and able to reach to the lowest lows and the most wretched sinner. See the humility of Christ to take on flesh, to die a criminal's torturous death, to be put in the grave where he would raise the captives and set them free. Oh, how amazing the love of our Lord is. Let us also not miss here in verse 18 Paul's ongoing emphasis that we are saved into a united and beloved family of God. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth? Church, our faith journey is not just about us individually, but us together in Christ. In Christ we are loved, and we are loving each other now and forever. Disciples, family, let me ask you, do you truly cherish the beloved? Your blood-bought family. I mean, they are truly your beloved family. You don't care for them less than your own blood family. Less than your own children. You love them deeply and truly. And again, this is modeled by Paul in the fact that in this very moment, he's praying for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you feel this way, not only for this local church family, as special as it is, but for all true believers in Christ? 
Do you truly see how big your family is? Praise God for this. Moving to verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul is praying that the believers know the love of Christ in a way that it surpasses knowledge. Again, how is this possible? How do we know something beyond knowledge? Understand he's talking about two different kinds of knowing. There's informational knowing. When you have knowledge about something or someone, you could be well studied or even have direct access to have seen something or know about what someone did. But this is very different than actually knowing someone personally. Personal or relational knowing is to know them directly, personally, to know them relationally. This is how we know the love of Christ in a way that surpasses knowledge about Christ. James Montgomery Boyce says it well. Real yielding of oneself to Christ goes beyond knowledge. However full and accurate that knowledge may be, and even, a, even beyond agreeing with or being personally moved by the gospel. Voice reveals a critical point that is you can know about God in your head. You can even believe what you know in your heart, but still not have saving faith. Still not know Him personally. Still not know the love of Christ because you still do not know Him personally. Because you still haven't trusted Him completely in saving faith. So I ask you individually, do you know Him? Not just about Him. Do you know him personally? There are places in the world where that will get you killed. There are times in your life where that will cause you to lose a job or real relationships. Church, we don't just admire him. We don't just follow him or swear allegiance to him. We worship Him. We walk with Him in faith. We trust Him. Oh, how I pray that you know the love of Christ so very intimately. To such a degree that there is no greater love, no greater relationship, nothing in this life that has been so transforming and so overwhelming and empowering than to personally know the love of Christ. That this knowing surpasses all knowledge about Him. One more inquiry before we move on. When you read God's Word, do you read just for knowledge? We can easily slip into this routine where we read just for mental increase. We read just to know what the words say, to know the story, to know the teaching. Do you read just for wisdom that is good for your horizontal life? If so, you are missing the sweetness and the power of what time in God's holy word is meant to do for your life. Church, when we make time to sit with God in his word, it should be personal, it should be intimate. This is time you've prioritized to sit at God's feet and hear his words for you. To bolster and and deepen and strengthen your relationship with him not just for knowledge and wisdom but for deepening to know him personally and experience his limitless love for you too many christians are all too content with mediocre relationships that they never really spend quality time with anybody too many marriages are all too content with a daily schedule in life that they never slow to really be together. To really know each other and deepen their love. 
The problem is we don't just do this with others. We are often all too content to do it with our Lord. Church, we must really come to God and His Word different than we do with other relationships. Come to times of worship different than we do to other happenings in our life. There needs to be a depth, a vastness, a power, a sweetness that we can know in Christ. That we cannot be content with staying distant. Paul is praying for depth, for knowing that surpasses head knowledge. Christian, I'm praying for this for you too. Finally, in our last section of study, to look to this last part of verse 19, he says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See Paul fighting for them, not to not be content with a light engagement with God, to not be content with just being saved. No, they would be fixed in His love. They would know the love of Christ personally, deeply, so much so that they would be full. Full here means no room for anything else. Full means nothing lacking or missing. Are you full in Christ's love? Scripture speaks often of this in two ways. Being full as in mature Christ-likeness and being full as in being satisfied in God. Let's look at both. Paul, considering mature Christ-likeness, Paul gets to this in the next chapter. Peek with me for a moment. Ephesians 4.13 Until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here Paul says it to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. God knows us fully. But as we're sanctified and then one day glorified church, we will know God fully and and fully complete. We will be with Him without hindrance. Christian, we should be passionate about Christian maturity. We need to be passionate about growing in our understanding of the Word, increasing our grip and trust in Christ in all things, so that the fruit of the Spirit is producing true Christ-likeness and maturity and holiness. Were you passionate about growing in Christ this last week? Think of all the things you set out to really focus on. To get done. Was it a significant marker of how you used your time that God gave you under the sun? Oh, how we need to love God and His Word so that we are tr- truly maturing in Christ's likeness to the fullness, to be full in the fullness of God. The second layer we see in being full is that we're satisfied in God. Consider with me how much Paul's prayer lines up with Jesus' words in John's Gospel, John 15, 9-11. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things... I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. The prize of all prizes is to be in Christ. To be in the eternal love of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's saying one of the greatest blessings that it is to be in Christ is to be in His joy. His joy to be in us. 
To have the lasting and eternal and all-satisfying joy of the Lord in us means our joy is full. It's not lacking. It's not wavering. You can't be more joyful than to have the love and life of Christ in you. To have His joy, His love, in the truest source of joy and love that we can know. Everything else is counterfeit, do you see? Everything else is second rate. Everything else is fleeting. It's temporary. It's circumstantial. In our flesh, we are far too easily pleased. Yeah, I'm going to say it again. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. Church, we can only be full in God. We can only be truly and fully satisfied in Christ. Paul prays that the beloved are filled with all the fullness of God. You will never know satisfaction until you go to God in faith and trust your life to Christ to be your sufficient Savior, to be the Almighty Lord of your life. You may know what it is to be very happy, elated, ecstatic, stoked, You may know what this feeling is from a love relationship, from an amazing vacation, from jumping out of a plane with a parachute, from performing or speaking before hundreds or thousands, from a drug or an intimate encounter, from the birth of a child, from a really tasty meal. But all these things are momentary. There are moments in time or seasons in life, even if they just happen to be a lifelong thing, they're not eternal, not even close. Only God is eternal. Only the joy He provides is sustaining. Only He satisfies like nothing else. Oh, how I pray you find your satisfaction in the Lord to the point where it just wrecks you today. It just clicks. You're just broken in the goodness and the sweetness of God to love you like he does and to send you forth where you just are humbled, just humbled for all the ways you've made it about you. Matthew Henry says it so well, the joy of the Lord will arm us against the assaults of our spiritual enemies and put out of our mouths the taste of those pleasures for which the tempter baits his hook. May we truly look to God alone to fill our cup. May we truly find fullness of joy in the fullness of God. King David said this so well time and time again. We could spend the next hour walking through the Psalms, but let me give you two to close. Psalm 1611, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. May it be so. Pray with me. Father, we praise you. We praise you, God. You did it. You you ordained us to gather today in this place to worship you, to have your written word, to study. 
Thank you for the blessing of the faithfulness of the giving of our church members that this work continues. That the hours of my week are able to be dedicated to the study and preparation of the preaching of this word. For the provision of the economy of our schedules to be committed to Sunday worship, to gather here today and start our week, the first fruits of worship, fellowship, and prayer. We thank you for the work of the Holy Spirit to wreck us. Lord, even if still in this moment there is belligerent, selfish, sinful excuse-making, justifying, walls held up, break them down, God. Break them down hard. Break us so that nothing but you is good enough. So that only you is enough. That we be grounded in your love. So known for the love of God at work in and through us. Do your work, Lord. Do your work in us here. Today, if you give us tomorrow, then tomorrow. We belong to you. You are our cornerstone. You are our God. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.